Well, Center Church, it's a great privilege and honor to be with you guys to be able to open up God's Word in person. I do recall our time together being able to preach his God's Word um, throughout the pandemic on that, that video um, service. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity. I'm grateful for the partnership here with the pastors here, the support that they give. Pastor Josh, Pastor Justin, I'm grateful for um, your ministry here, and I pray for, for fruitfulness in it, even as we're only a short 25 minutes away from each other, but grateful for gospel partnerships. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17 this morning. And if, Pastor Justin, if I may, I want to ask the congregation to stay with me for the reading of God's Word. Uh, I feel like I'm with family, and uh, back at our, our home, our space, we stand for the reading of God's Word. So I just want to enjoy the Word of God together with you guys. If you would oblige with me in that, I really would appreciate it. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." You can be seated. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. This morning, as we walk through this text, I want to preach from the thought this morning. Who can harm you when God can bless you? Who can harm you when God can bless you? On June 17, 2015, a local church, Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, gathered for their weekly Bible study. And if you're familiar with this story, you maybe know that they were gathering for their study as usual to, to dive into God's Word. And they were diving into the text, and a, a visitor joined them for the first time. This is Mr. Dylan Roof. And as records hold, when Mr. Roof came into the building, he asked for the pastor. He wanted to see the pastor. He wanted to engage the pastor and have conversations with them. And so as he found his way into the study, he sat right next to the pastor. And as the congregation's going through their, their typical study, they're diving into the passage, seeking to apply it to their lives. And in a matter of moments, Mr. Roof persisted to pull out a, a weapon and use it on the congregation, and nine lives were lost that day. It was in that moment that Mr. Roof believed that he had accomplished his goal. He, he thought that he had taken care of his mission, that he had set out on that day. However, he must not have been acquainted with the full counsel of God's Word, what the Scripture teaches about life and death. He must not have had in the 
forefront of his mind. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe y'all know that text. Maybe another one is this, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, I mean, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I, I, I don't know if that doesn't get you excited. Because if you think about this moment, what's happening? Mr. Roof thought that he had done a number on these believers. He, he thought that he gave them their final blow. He, he thought that he made it as bad as it could be for them here on this earth. For him, it was his racial beliefs that led him to despise his people to come in to do what he did. But even though he brought harm against them, God still blessed them. Just think about that for a moment. Even though he tried to inflict this harm, God still blessed him. This reminds me of Peter's exhortation to the exiled believers of this letter in chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4 through four say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's this reality of this text today. Whom can harm you when God can bless you? If you are anchored to the living hope, the, the risen Christ, the one who's imperishable, who's undefiled, who's steady, who's steadfast, a sure foundation for you to step on and to place your life upon, what can they do to you? What can they do? We see the same idea transpiring in verse 8 as Peter continues to make his case for Christ being our living hope through engagement in Christian suffering. No one wants to suffer, but sometimes suffering's right around the corner for you. And before Peter communicates this idea of Christian suffering to individuals, he addresses the united church. See, the unity of the church is, is critical for enduring suffering. Peter admonishes them to have a unified mind as they seek to live out the Christian faith. But, but how do they have this united mind? It needs to be anchored by someone, something. This unifying anchor is Jesus. It's the same reminder for these believers to be united in Christ that, that Paul reminds the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 2. They must be united with Christ. So these believers are united with Jesus. They're united with each other. And so when you have unity around Christ, it makes it more significant for you even as you walk through suffering, because you have someone that can bear your burdens, your iniquities, that you can trust as you move forward. It's interesting what persecution does to people, what suffering does to people just in general. Before suffering, believers are inclined to fight over very minuscule types of things. Maybe for you guys, it might be the color of the carpet. Now, y'all wouldn't have those types of problems over here on this side of the mountain. That's just us over there. You know, you've been in churches before. Maybe it's a church you grew up in, the, the church you used to go to, but y'all will fight over some really dumb things, minuscule things, things that don't really matter for the sake of the kingdom. But you would get everything all worrying you over those types of things. But, but Peter challenges them, though. He says, look, you need to be united together. You need to be connected because of what Christ has done. You need this unified mind amongst the followers of Jesus for you to move forward. And so when Peter challenges them, he challenges them to be sympathetic to one another. The suffering these believers would endure would be 
contextualized, and each party needed to be charitable to other people and how they were walking through suffering. Let's stop and think about 2020 for a moment. All of us know 2020 has been a year. All of us have walked through different types of seasons. You've had different types of hurdles, different types of struggles. But I think this year has made people a little bit more charitable towards other people. You've been a little bit more gracious to some people than you used to be in the past. Maybe you've walked through a season in your life, and it just led you to see them in a different type of way. See, this is what the Christian faith does for us. It should always give us a sense of sympathy for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We should seek to understand them. Peter then goes on to use the phrase brotherly love. He intends to communicate a tight, all-encompassing love that will never fail in many situations. Brotherly love signifies that they are on the same team. More important, they're on the same family. We're in it together. We're, we're walking alongside of each other. We're caring for each other. The good, the bad, the ugly. We see two more exhortations that are interconnected in that they communicate the inward realities of what's happening inside of us in that first verse there. First, they should be tenderhearted. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ should make you tenderhearted. I don't know if you are the tough guy in the room. You're like, no, I don't, I don't need all that soft type of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm strong for the Lord. But it should do something within you in such a way that, that makes you tenderhearted because you know King Jesus. Gives you a new sense of understanding for the world. You see the world in a different way because the more you reflect Jesus, the more tenderhearted you will be. And if you need an example, look at Jesus' life. He was very tenderhearted and compassionate and caring in the way that he engaged those around him, but also strong, courageous, steadfast. The second is the mark of humility. It must be evident in our lives. That sense of humility that will lead you to even count others more significant than yourself, that you would understand what you're walking through because you understand who Jesus is. You understand the grace that he displayed for you, the love and care he displayed for you. Yet while you were a sinner, Christ still died for you. That humbles you. The gospel should lead you towards humility. Pride should not run our lives, but the slain lamb has humbled us, and he has placed us under his kingship and authority. So because we're trusting the slain lamb, we'll be a more humbled people, more gracious, more caring, more intentional for our brothers and sisters that we are partnering with in the gospel. You'll seek to love them well. Remembering the Christian faith and how Christ unites believers will prepare you to suffer for the gospel. Peter reminds these brothers and sisters that they are not alone in following Jesus in a land that does not honor him. If I could pause for a moment and tell you a little bit of the historical case here in this text is the reality that they were walking through a hard season. They felt like exiles in a foreign land. They felt like this place wasn't their home. They, they were looking around them and all the other people around them weren't seeking to follow Jesus and they felt isolated. So what Peter's saying to him in this moment, you're not alone. You have a people that you've been brought into. Christ didn't just die for you, he died for a people. And you've been brought into this precious people. And you need to labor alongside of them as you seek to honor our Lord. This is the idea we see countless times in this book. And Peter understands the persecution that the church is experiencing and challenges them to bless instead of retaliate. Friends, that's a word for us today. I don't know about you, but sometimes when people do harm to you, they irk your nerves, they just get under your skin. 
you know you're tempted to respond back. Oh, you know you're driving down the street. Somebody cuts you off. Some of y'all, y'all some crazy drivers. Y'all know it. You know, you know, I just got a little road rage, you know. I don't be taking out the crowbar or nothing like that. You know, but I, I got to maintain. Somebody cuts you off and you, you know, you, you speed up. You tailgate them a little bit. Come on, some of y'all need to be honest with yourselves. You want to retaliate. But what he says here, even though you're undergoing this persecution, that's not the response that you have as a follower of Jesus. We are tempted to retaliate against people when they do intentional or unintentional harm to us. But that's not your response as a follower of Jesus. You're called to bless. Nah, nah, Peter, you're tripping. What are you talking about, Peter? He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And brothers and sisters, we need to hold ourselves accountable to this admonition. We need to understand that we just can't act however we want to because we disagree with other people or we feel a sense of persecution from them. We need to hold each other accountable because when we're under pressure, you are more tempted to break. Be realistic. We like to think we can put the world on our back and take on all the struggles, all the cares. But when you undergo that pressure, you feel the weight on your shoulders. But if you add persecution to that pressure, friends, you're going to act beside yourself because you weren't meant to bear it by yourself. You need the people of God. This is interesting because this is why he's making the case. Instead of going straight to what you need to do individually, he goes to the people of God first and says, this is how y'all should move forward, being united. We get it backwards. I need to suffer myself, and then I'll go to people. So what we see in this text is that you might believe that God needs your strong response. Maybe you've been there before. Somebody says something to you, you know, that was against your faith, your God, and you like, no, no, God, I got this. Jesus, you sit back. You didn't take care of enough. Let me, let me step in. Let me tell them what they need to know. I'm going to make the case to them about what they should believe, how they should understand the situation. So you feel like you need the strong response, even when your strong response doesn't even represent him well. Maybe your response is evil, and it's to revile. And Peter says, to this you were called, that you may obtain your blessing, to bless, not retaliate. It's interesting here because many read these words and are concerned about works-based righteousness. But that is not Peter's objective here in this text. Peter believes that Christ is our living hope and that there's nothing that we can do to assure our inheritance. But Peter states we have the ability to live out the receipts of the inheritance that we have received. Peter's been making this case throughout the entire book that we have hope in Jesus. And because we're trusting Jesus, we can remain faithful to him. And that should transform us. That should change us. That should move us. That should shape us and shape the way that we care for others. And even in those moments, come on, when they're wilding out, they're saying whatever they want to you, they're acting however they want to you, persecuting you, throwing shade at you, however you want, you're still called to bless. That's hard. That's hard. This is what Jesus called us to because we represent him here. We have already are going to obtain our inheritance. We know the reality of what Christ has done for us through the cross, and it does not permit us to do whatever we want. This is why Peter quotes Psalm 34 here, and there's much wisdom in these words. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
We all want to see good days. There's nobody in here who does not want to see good days in their lives. We long for heaven. We long for life with God forever. And Peter's words point us back towards our eschatological hope. That's our future hope of salvation. And he has been building this case of our inheritance. And he alludes to how it matters in this world. Yes, it does come to bear on your interactions with the everyday people in the workplace, at school, wherever, even if they disagree with you. Peter brings accountability to these believers. In the same way that you are a representative of your king, it matters how you act. And just because you feel persecution doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want without consequences. Maybe you've paid for the words that you've used before. Maybe people you've been trying to reach with the good news of the gospel, yes, they've said harsh things to you, and you responded back harshly, and you've been praying for another day to have a gospel conversation. Well, it was because of the way you've been treating them in response. The consequences will come to bear. We say, well, what we said is not as bad as what they have done. That might be true, but you are still without excuse. Therefore, every word that comes out of our mouth should be without deceit. It doesn't matter how wicked or wrong the people are around you, but make sure deceit does not come from you. This reminds me of all of my lovely friends that are all over social media. Y'all all know those people. They feel like they can change the world through five posts a day. They're going to be able to win them over. And some of you guys are those people, and others of you guys are the people who are like, if I see somebody I disagree with, it's it. It's over. I'm going on their post. You're going to be like, all right. Backspace. Nah, you don't use backspace. You just go for it. <laughs> so, I mean, you're getting it out there, you know, angry. And you respond because... You can't tame your tongue, but even in those moments, even your words can be filled with deceit, even in your response to them. Number one, I'll just give you a, a good hint, a good, good tip for your life. There's probably not many battles you're going to win on there, number one. Number two, you probably should ask the person to get a cup of coffee and talk to them if you really want to build a rapport with them, build a relationship with them. That's for free. It's partially common sense, but um, Clearly in our culture, y'all all know what's going down out there. It's, the streets are hard on Facebook right now. And, uh, but, but what does the psalmist say? He says, turn away from evil and do good. The psalmist explains good as seeking out peace and pursuing it. Are you known to be someone who seeks peace or do you stoke the fire? Maybe that was you at the Thanksgiving meal. That person you're like, I know if I say these three words, it's over. Let's just see how they respond. How have they been thinking through the past three months? And you just blow it up. Or you're the person who's trying to advocate for peace in light of your king. Are you someone who gets mad when people seek out peace in the midst of a broken culture? To seek out peace, it means that believers will have to even forgive those who have transgressed against us, even if they've made harsh statements, have mistreated us. We cannot build up our anger and allow that to fuel our actions. We need to devote ourselves to what is good no matter what we encounter. And beloved, if I can just have a moment with you. For some, this year has made you immensely angry. 
You struggle to talk about it. You've been frustrated. It's been building. You've been mad at your, your family, your aunties, your uncles, whoever. Like, you've been taking down every single person. But something's happening inside of you. If you want to be this advocate of peace, if you want to do good, you're going to have to deal with the anger inside of you at some point. You're going to have to take it to the cross of Christ and trust Jesus and his grace to cleanse you, to, to do a work in you, to transform your heart, to conform your heart to what Christ has for you. But you can't just stay angry forever because it will flow out of you. Maybe you've been seeing the, the ricochet effect of that in your life. The dominoes dropping everywhere. Oh, people are more distant from me. I'm, people are struggling relationally with me. Maybe that's that anger inside of you that's coming out. But if I'm justified, though, you don't know what they, they've done to me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story. Their story is pretty hard here. And even Peter is challenging them to do good, to keep advocating. The psalmist wraps up how God desires to care for those who do good. He says that he will heed their prayers and they will experience the inheritance. But those who do not honor God will be held accountable. Therefore, these believers should not be hindered in doing good. Do good, brothers and sisters. Keep advocating for the sake of your Lord. Peter poses the theme of this message in the next few verses. While undergoing persecution, it would be more simple to reside to a defeatist mentality. They, may say, they might say, if this or that doesn't happen, everything is over. And maybe you felt this way this year, like we don't get this here or at this point, this moment, it's not going to get better this year. Maybe you're struggling to, to move forward with a sense of hopefulness. This is why these next few words are really helpful for us to understand. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 say, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous, passionate for what is good? But, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Peter is re reaffirming the thesis of the section that believers may be distressed by persecution, but they are in reality blessed by and will enjoy the future inheritance. See here, Peter's making a case that suffering is probably going to come knocking at your front door. He's not saying that it's never going to come. I think the words of Thomas Schreiner is really helpful here. He says, suffering stalks the believer until this present evil age comes to an end. And this is why it matters that we understand this. Because even though you might suffer, it still can't ultimately harm you. All those words, all those hard conversations, all the things in the workplace, all the stories that you haven't told to anyone else in your family, the things you went through in your childhood. As a follower of Jesus, they can't ultimately harm you. They can, they can play a major mark in your story right now. They might be a part of the chapter, but it ain't the conclusion. It ain't the end of the story. But here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we can trust in the hope that we have anchored in Christ as that moves us forward. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who has the ability to afflict eternal harm on God's people? No one, friends. They may cut at you. It may hurt at times, but we're talking about eternity. We're talking about 
them being able to thwart the King of kings and the Lord of lords, friends, they have no ability to be able to do that. Regardless of what happens, you need to live in a manner that honors Christ over everything. Brothers and sisters, who can harm you when God can bless you? When you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be vindicated on the last day, and it might seem like you are losing ground here, but you've gained everything in heaven. You, you've gained Jesus. You're going to be with him forever. And there's going to be moments as you live out your faith, there's going to be a pressure, a rub even on your life as you seek to honor Christ. And I think Jesus understood that, and I think Peter is playing off of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. According to our Lord, you are blessed despite suffering when it's for the sake of righteousness and for his kingdom. The case being made in this passage is not that suffering happens at every waking moment, but for Christians, suffering comes by the hand of any nation or kingdom. And yes, that could even be America too. Therefore, though, you still have nothing to fear because yours is secure in the kingdom. They can only persecute you for so long. They can only oppress you for so long. And this is why we need to remember that they're not worthy of our fear. See, we give over too much to people. Oh, we should fear them for what they can do, what they've said to us, that like it can ultimately harm us. Because who should you fear when God is for you, friends? Peter says, do not be troubled. Have you been troubled this year? Maybe all the things you went through in 2020, you feel like everything's just not going your way. And it's overcoming you, clouding your mind, clouding your judgment. You feel like you're just going, undergoing so much suffering in different ways. Are you troubled? Are you trusting Jesus to make your burden light? Are you trusting him in your life, even in the mundane moments, even in those areas of suffering that you don't believe matters to anyone else? The things that you're writing in your diary, in your journal, in your prayer journal, whatnot, God sees it, he understands. In the same way he could bear your sin on the cross, he can bear that burden as well. You need to run to Jesus, friends. You need to trust him despite any season that you walk in because those days of trouble are going to come, but who can bring you peace? Where are you going to find it at? Are you going to reach for different things in your life? Are you going to run to Jesus? And if you do find peace, is it because of Jesus? Is it? In this moment, as we're working through this text, Peter starts to recall Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. He says this in Isaiah, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Understanding Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 13, makes 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 so theologically rich. Contextually speaking, the southern kingdom of Judah was under attack by the northern kingdom of Israel and Aram, which is modern-day Syria. And they were treating, uh, threatening to remove the king. And the prophet Isaiah promised them that God would preserve them. Just think about it. 
We've been talking about how God would preserve his people. And here's another moment when God pronounced to his people once again that he would preserve them, that he would bring them through. Even though they're plotting conspiracies against the people of God. Isaiah is kind of like, y'all better recognize because I got an announcement for you guys. That even though they're bringing charges, even though they're bringing conspiracies, these things cannot thwart the Lord's plans because they actually believe that God would vindicate their own. He would bring them out in the end. What situations of suffering that you're walking through right now do you question whether or not God can actually get you out of it? What what areas of suffering that you feel that you need to do something on your own accord You just need to get things right. You just need to get yourself together to get yourself out of it. Or do you trust that the Lord can actually bring you through? So even though they try to come against God's people and persecute his people, God's people still trusted him that he would pull them out. And Peter confirms that believers shouldn't fear those people, give them too much authority or credit, but in their hearts they should honor the Lord as holy and trust him. So similarly to the, his words to Judah, God is reminding his people again to not trust them, but to trust him over their circumstance. And in light of his reign, he says that we need to be ready even to make a defense of our faith. So, so why would you even cling to Jesus in verse 15? After going through all this suffering and still proclaim Christ. It's interesting here how we eisegete this text. It's just taking the text out of context. We all like to quote, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, oh yeah, I got to make a defense of the faith. And then when you put it into its context, it's in the midst of persecution and suffering, that's when it's hard. But it should lead us to testify. Because we should be able to testify that the Lord has brought us through something, that we've, we've been through some things, and we, we got some scars, we, we got some marks, we're bruised, we're tattered, but we know our Lord. We know that the Redeemer lives. We know that he can do a work in us despite our circumstance. See, some of y'all been someplace, y'all walked through some things, and the Lord wants you to testify about his goodness, about how he has brought you up out of the mess. I'm a witness, friends. Can I testify for a moment? I know where I used to be at. I know what I used to be doing. I know how I was struggling. I know how I was marked. I know how I was, was getting down and doing different things on the weekend, but the Lord brought me through. Yes, some of that suffering hit me in different ways. Some of it was self-inflicted, which was dumb, and other things were not self-inflicted. But the Lord brought me through. But it was in those moments that you can testify to the goodness of the Lord and make a defense for the faith. Adding on to that, even when you're going through suffering as a follower of Jesus, when your friends don't want to kick it with you anymore, your family's saying, you're taking this Jesus life too serious. Your workplace is like, well, you don't need to talk like that anymore. We need you to be a little bit more correct in your language. So there's moments where you need to remember what the Lord has done because your faithfulness is going to, to show itself later. God's going to give you an opportunity to declare to others what Christ has done in your life. See, mo- many times when we think about giving a defense for the faith, we think we need to have 1,500 hours studying the Bible before we're able to give an adequate defense. You know, we don't feel like we're as eloquent enough with our words. We don't know um, the right verses to pull out. But here's all you need, an encounter with the risen king. Knowing that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that he alone can atone for your sin, that he can save you. And that gives you a testimony 
So even as you're walking through, you're like, how, how are you getting through this? How are you making it through? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. That should lead us to this, this great defense of the faith. But third, he says, do it with good conscience. But before he says do it with good conscience, I want to make this, this note. He says, as we're making this defense for the faith, we should do it in gentleness and respect. You can be truthful and bold, but gentle and respectful as you're making the defense for the faith. So we get it all twisted. We're like, I just got to be bold and just courageous and say whatever, you know. You know, they'll take it. You can be bold, tactful, gentle, pointed, respectful, caring, loving, all at the same time. And when you've experienced certain things in your life, when you remember and recall what the, where the Lord's brought you from, it's probably going to lead you to be more sympathetic in those conversations. Even as you're going through suffering and people are even inflicting it onto you, you'll be able, to be able to be gracious to them, share with them the good news of the gospel. It reminds me of the earlier illustration that I made. If you know how the story continues, some of the family members of the victims of the Emmanuel 9 went to um, the jail where Mr. Roof was at. And on that moment when they had ample amount of opportunity to come at him, to, to tell him all the things that, that he had done to them, how bad it was, how, how he ruined their family. They had opportunity to revile them, to retaliate, but they decided to bless them. What did they do? They gave him Jesus. I mean, could you imagine that? Like you losing a loved one, you're feeling the suffering, the persecution from it, but you point them to the cross of Christ and say, brothers, I want you to know Jesus, that he can save you from your sin, that your story doesn't have to end this way. Most people will say that he's hopeless there, but they gave him Jesus. See, it's out of that type of situation that we have the opportunity to make defenses of the faith, to make a case about how God has brought you through. And you want to do it for good conscience. Even though they maybe have hurt you, have harmed you, we should do it in such a way that every action should be right before the Lord. Therefore, they cannot bring any claim against you to put you to shame. How many of you maybe have had your behavior that's maybe put you to shame because you know that they can pull it out on you? Oh, you say you're following Jesus, but I know what you've been doing. I know how you've been acting. I know how you care for us. Oh, you, you want to play the martyr in this moment, but they're seeing that your actions aren't adding up with your words. You've been united with Christ. Christ has been transforming you. It should shape your conscience. You should do it in such a way that honors our Lord. And the, and the final results uh, are seen here in our final verse this morning. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. When we have done well in living for the Lord, we have nothing to worry about when we are harmed. We have nothing. So we should advocate and do good. We should seek to care well for people even though they want to harm us. Brothers and sisters, who can harm you when God can bless you? Who can? But how are you going to respond? Are you going to cling to the promises of God? Are you going to trust him that he can bring you through? 
Are you going to take matters into your own hands? Oh, you ain't going to harm me. Or are you going to trust Jesus? That in the end, he has the final say. They maybe have stamped your story for a few chapters, but it ain't over yet. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to trust Jesus. I want to encourage you to run to him. So in this moment, I want to ask you to pray with me that you would trust Jesus to guide your path as you seek to follow him. Father, we're so grateful to know that we can come before you and seek to honor you in word and in deed. Father, I pray that you would help us despite our our situations we find ourselves in, despite our circumstances, that we would trust you um, for everything. Lord, that we would know that in the end, you will bless your people. Even if we feel like we, we come limping in, your redemption is holistic and it will be consummated. And we get to be with you forever. Father, I pray for us, those who are under the sound of my voice, that that will be enough for us that your work on the cross will be sufficient in our mind and in our hearts so that we trust you despite any circumstance or any odds. But for those brothers and sisters who are walking through some hard times right now, I just pray that they would just continue to trust you, that they will come alongside of community at the, the forefront, not at the end of their story, so that people can be part of their journey and remind them of the good news of the gospel. And lastly, Lord, I want to pray for any of those in here who do not know you. That even as I've mentioned that they would come to know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and that you've done a sufficient work for them on the cross to redeem them from their sins. And I pray that even today that they would place their faith in, in you. Because, Father, you are a way maker. You took a broken sinner like myself and you gave me life. You gave me hope for the future. And Father, I pray for anyone else in here who doesn't know you, that they would have that same hope as they cling to you. All these things we pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.